Well, hello. Our last time together looking at the church. Um, I've really enjoyed this time with you guys as we've opened the word together. It's been a great time. Uh, yeah, really, really good. It's a funny thing, learning from your own talks as you go through a week, but it's been a good week. Um, yeah, I've loved it. Now, <clears throat> um, what's the best thing that you can get? That's a broad question, right? But what's the best thing that you can get? See, ads on, tell you, on, <laughs> ads on TV right, would tell you that the best thing you can get is stuff. Apple, Mac are geniuses at this. And they make us believe that if you get the next iPhone or the next Mac Air or whatever, it will change your life. They're really good at convincing us of that. Every time a new video game comes out, right, I like Call of Duty 17 and I'll, I'll watch some trailers and read some reviews and I'll be like... Someone just cheat a game that doesn't exist. Call of Duty 17, yeah. Right? And I'll read, I'll read the reviews and I'm like, if I can get Call of Duty 17, it's going to change my life. 1 through 16 didn't really do it for me, but 17 is going to be amazing. And then like a month later, if I did happen to get it, it's like just in some drawer under my TV and who really cares? <laughs> and I keep convincing myself that deep down this is going to change everything if I just get this thing, right? <laughs> now, if you live long enough, you start to realise that things, material things, well, it, it's pretty superficial to think that that's the most important thing you could possibly get in life. you work that out soon if you haven't worked it out yet. Another idea, though, is the idea that maybe if I could just, in the way I look, become the perfect me, become the perfect person, maybe, maybe that would actually make my life really good. If I could just be a little bit thinner or look a little bit better or be a bit buffer or a bit fitter or whatever, surely then my life would be awesome. And I think as we hear that, we think, ah, oh, that's not right. That sounds a bit silly. But deep down, I reckon we actually believe it. I reckon. See, how often do you see other people around you, just friends or whatever, and you, and you honestly think to yourself, man, if I just looked half as pretty or half as handsome or whatever the word is, you know, um, as that person, then I'd actually be happy. I reckon we think that. We look around and we see what other people have got and we go, man, if I was like that, I would be so stoked. But the interesting thing is if you talk to this person that you think is really pretty or really handsome or whatever, I don't know what guys are calling each other. It's a weird thing to describe, right? But, you know, if you actually talk to these beautiful people around us, what you'll discover is those people have actually got often, they've got really kind of terrible body image themselves. And even though you think they're so amazing, they look at themselves and they think, Nah, I'm so ugly, I'm so whatever. And, and actually, I've got all sorts of unhappinesses about how they look as well. And it doesn't end up satisfying people. It's a really weird thing. Now, maybe material things and like looks and so on all sounds a little bit too superficial to you. And maybe for you, you tell yourself, I think a lot of us do, what really counts in life, what is the best thing you could get is living life. Having experiences, having experiences like we've been having this week, getting thrown up in the air off a blob and playing crazy games and, and doing things with your friends together. And you think, man, if I could just live my life having enough fun and enough experiences and doing enough amazing things, well, I'd be happy. That's what I need. When I was in year nine, I remember like, I don't know what it is about old people. I'd probably do it to you guys now, right? But pe old people would say to me, what do you want to do when you grow up? And, and in year nine, I, I literally used to think this, this is what I'd say... 
to be honest, I don't care what job I do. I just want a job that makes heaps and heaps of money, not so that I can get rich, but so I can work like half a day a week, get heaps of money in half a day, and then spend six and a half days a week just having as much fun as I possibly can. That's what will make me happy. That was legit what I thought I wanted to do with my life when I was in year nine. It actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Imagine six days a week, hanging out with your mates, going to the beach, going to the snow, traveling, seeing the world, all that kind of stuff. Well, the problem is when we do that, it is fun. It always is fun. But that's all it is. (laughs) And so if you pursue those things, you'll have fun. You'll have fun at the snow. You'll have fun at the beach. You'll have fun if you do that six days a week. But it still leaves you feeling empty even though it was fun. See, a simple example, right? No one ever goes for a surf, right? And then he's like, wow, that surf was so good that I'm just satisfied. I don't need to surf again. Instead, you're like, oh, that was good. That was the best surf of my life, maybe, but can't wait to do my next surf. No one ever goes to the movies and is like, they like see like the best movie ever or whatever. They walk out of the, I don't know, what something, what's that? They walk out of Lord of the Rings and they're just like, whoa, Return of the King just blew my mind. That movie was so good, I'm done with movies now. I'm done watching movies. It was that good, I'm satisfied. Instead, you're like, what's the next good movie I can watch? Because all it does is it gives you some fun and leaves you feeling empty. And there's one other thing I reckon that might, we might kind of raise up as an idea. So maybe we say stuff and superficial looks and even just fun experiences. We all know that maybe there's something more to life than that. And I reckon the last thing we might say is this, we might say maybe relationships. See, it doesn't matter so much what you do in life, really it matters who you do it with. And so maybe you've had the thought, the most important thing is life is this, in life is this, who am I going to do life with? What relationships will I have around me? And so if I could just have that right group of friends who are just so much fun and so loving and so awesome, if I could just have a great family, if I could just be going out with that girl or that guy, whatever, one day marry him, one day have kids, whatever, my life would be perfect if I just had the right relationships around me. I reckon lots of people go through life like that. Very easy to think that's the most important thing in the world. The problem is that even relationships on their own don't fully satisfy us because actually relationships are often one of the things that causes more hurt and more pain to us than anything else in the world. And although relationships really are wonderful good things, I know for a lot of you guys in this room, they're also some of the things that have caused the most pain in your life and things in your family and things that people have done at school and and all sorts of stuff. And even when relationships really are really good in this life, and often they are, relationships are great. I'm not down on it, right, in any type of relationship. But even then, relationships still end in death. One day, we get separated from those that we love. And so even relationships themselves, well, you're still left going, man, (laughs) is there something better than this? So the question I want to ask tonight is, what's the best thing you can get? And if we actually answer that question together, then that's going to change our lives. It's going to help us see the world with clarity. And that's going to just be awesome. So we can pursue what actually matters. So let's pray and then dig into the Bible together. Join me. Father God, I pray please that 
tonight, we would see what matters more than anything else. Father God, please help us to remove from the center of our lives substitutes for what matters most and instead find the thing that is most valuable. Amen. Now, I've tricked you guys because your outlines are wrong on point one, all right? So don't be like, well, I know the answer. You don't. All right, here's point number one tonight. You ready for this? Here's what I want us to see. The best thing about being in God's people is God himself. That's the first thing I want us to see tonight. Now, this is an idea that's littered right throughout the whole Bible. So a lot of the Bible talks about this. This is a big deal. But challenge is where do you look at that quickly? Come to Psalm 16 with me and we'll see this really clearly in one place. The best thing about being in God's people is God himself. Flick to Psalm 16 and look at verse 1 and 2 with me. You ready? And we are going to do a little bit of flicking tonight, so stay on your toes, all right? All right, Psalm 16, verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, right there, he's basically saying God is the best thing that you can have. He's saying that the good I have is God. Apart from that, there's nothing else as good as God. God is the best thing. Have a look down at verse 5, right? He says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, you notice that word there, portion? It's a funny word, but portion is like the bit you want, right? So imagine it's a birthday and there's a cake and people are cutting it up and you're like looking at them and you're like, that's a small portion, but that's a big portion. That's the portion I want right there. So portion is just the bit you're after, the bit you want, okay? Now translate that into life. As you look at life, people get all sorts of different portions in life. So some person's portion might be a Ferrari and a hot girlfriend. Another person's portion might be, I don't know, living by the beach, right? Another person's portion might be something really hard. Um, He's saying, my portion is God. He's the one that I want. He's the thing that I'm after. He is what I want. He's all I need. And so, first and foremost, when you become a Christian and join God's people, the thing you get that's better than anything else is God. When you join the church, you get God. That's the greatest thing that Adam and Eve had in the garden when they were created, was that they walked with God, saw Him face to face. And that's what they lost as they, as they sinned, as, as well as a bunch of other things. In, in Genesis chapter 17, as God promises all these incredible things to Abraham, right? One of the, the central part of that promise is he says that I will be your God, Abraham. And, and Abraham's like stoked. I get to have God as my God. Um, someone stand up who's got a fat shirt on. Stand up, man. Stand up. And then spin around for me. You can read this off someone's shirt around you. In Exodus, right, look at someone's shirt around you. No, I've got to be able to read it. You've got to turn around. There you go. Listen to this. This is Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. It says, I will take you as my people. And here's the good bit. I will be your God. And then you'll know that I am the Lord, your God. That's the good. You can sit down. Thank you very much. And I hope everyone else's shirts were good props there, right? Um, the good thing in Exodus is that God promises to be their God. 
He's saying, you're going to get me. I'm going to be with you. It's an amazing promise. The best thing about being in God's people is God himself, relationship with him. Now, I reckon we easily get this wrong. In Christian circles, I'm talking to Christians here, we get this wrong. See, I'll give you an example. Imagine if someone said this about their mum and dad. Imagine if someone said, oh, I've got such good mum and dad. I love having my mum and dad because, well, they do so much good stuff for me. My mum and dad buy me so much stuff. They, they clean up after me. Um, you know, they, they let me use their car. Their house is great. I just love my mum and dad because of all the things they do for me. So good. And you hear that, and it might even sound a little bit half true for some of you guys. Maybe you need to reflect on that. But as you hear that, something's missing there, right? Because actually the best thing about your mum and dad, if you've got a healthy relationship there, is meant to be, well, I mean, I've got a relationship with my mum and dad. It's about who they are and the fact that you're with them, not the stuff they can do for you, right? That's how people often treat God. That's how Christians may think about God. What can God do for me? How can God make my life better? How can God answer my prayers? How can he make me feel good when I go away on a camp like fat? How, is he going to bless me with lots of money? All sorts of stuff, all sorts of wrong ideas about what God's actually on about. And that sort of Christianity is a joke. The best thing about following God, the best thing in the world, is God himself. It's amazing. Here's the second thing to see tonight, though. You'll see this one in your outlines, and here it is. There's actually a barrier between God and His people. So you come over to Exodus chapter 19 with me, and this is the book we've been in this week in the mornings. We're just going to see one small thing, right? Exodus chapter 19. It's hiding from me. I hope you can find it. Exodus chapter 19, right? In this passage, God is about to appear to His people on a mountain. So He's actually going to kind of turn up physically in presence and and he's going to be near them on this mountain. But what you'll notice is that God's holy presence is so hectic that when God turns up, he actually has to give his people safety instructions so that when these sinful people come near him, they're not destroyed. Check out Exodus chapter 19, verse 20. Check it out. Chapter 19, verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. And so Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see me, the Lord, to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, kind of do some ceremonies, um, uh, consecrate themselves to the Lord um, or the Lord will break out against them. He gives them a whole bunch of safety instructions. Keep these guys back. And if anyone is going to come forward to see me, they've got to do a whole bunch of things to make sure that they're ready to see me. God is so holy, so perfect, so amazing, rightly so, that when sinful humans come in contact with him, well, he's going to smash them. That's hectic. God is like the sun. The sun's a long way away from us, right? It's an awful long way away, but but you can't even... We we tried it today. So many of us were sitting there trying to take a photo today, right? And the sun's there, so far away from us, right? And we're all like, okay, one, two, three. Ah! And we're trying to take photos, and you couldn't even look at the sun without it hurting your eyes. We can't go near it in our current state, right? 
That's God. He's holy. Like the sun. You can't get near him without getting burnt up. And the whole Old Testament is full of all these funny laws and rules and there's this idea of this temple and all that kind of stuff. And what all that is teaching us, one big thing it's teaching us, is that God is holy, right? And we're sinners who can't just waltz into God's presence in our current state. That's what the Old Testament is showing us. This is actually humanity's big problem. How can sinners come close to God? He's the best thing in the world, but man, how do we go near him without being burnt up? Well, here's the third thing. There's a hope of being with God. And this is that Bible reading that we just read in Ezekiel. Come back to Ezekiel with me. No, come forward to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. There's a hope that we, can't, that we can come close to God. See, look at verse uh, 36, Ezekiel 36, verse 24. The first thing that God says here is that he's going to clean up his people. He's going to clean them up from their sin. Verse 24, you ready? Ezekiel 36, he says, For I'll take you out of the nations and I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. Here it is. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities, which is sin, and from all your idols, all their wrong worship. Now, he's using symbolic water, talking language, talking about water there, and he's saying that I'm going to wash away your sin. Although you're filthy with it, I'm going to wash away your faults, wash away your sin. Imagine a person who, like, imagine if you could see sin on a person, right? If we could, we'd all look disgusting, right? We'd be covered in the physical, the, the build-up of years and years of sin. You'd just be covered in this thing. And the image is, is of this person being washed with the purest, most clean water so that we're scrubbed wonderfully clean. The record of our sin gone forever, permanently, not just to make it dirty again, but washed away. Here God is saying, I'm going to wash away my people's sin. And then he actually says something quite amazing after that. He says, not only am I going to wash away what's already happened, I'm actually going to do something in them. I'm going to change their hearts. I'm going to give them new hearts so that they can actually start to live to please God. Look at verse 26. Look at it with me. He says, after I've washed you, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart of stone, which is a heart that's hard towards God. And I'll put my spirit in you. I'll move you from the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, my commands, and to be careful to keep my laws. So because of sin, this sin that ruins us before God in, the, in, you know, in who we are and what we've done, so to speak, not only is God going to wash away the past, but he's actually going to give us new hearts so that we can start to live to please him. Not, per- not perfectly, not perfectly, but, um, but still we can now live to please him, start to live differently, have a desire to follow him now. And the result of all this, after being washed of our sin and being given this new heart, is this. Look at verse 28. Look at this one. Everyone look at this. He says, Then, after all that, you'll live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people and I will be your God. 
after I've cleaned you up, after I've dealt with your sin and after I've given you a new heart, I'm going to move in and live there with you. I will be your God. So this passage, right, is some, it, it's, it's looking forward to something better than what Israel experienced. It's looking forward to a time where sin will be dealt with and where they'll have this new heart. It's got this hope for the future. And that hope is fulfilled in Jesus when he turns up. He's the one who comes and washes away our sin and he's the one who now moves into our lives, lives in us, and that his spirit is now in us. And so point number four, here it is. Now, for us, now, God lives in his people. The best thing in the world, God himself now lives in us. <laughs> that's, that's both weird for the person who never heard that before and also just amazing. God lives in his people by his spirit. Now, that path, um, in the Old Testament, you hear about the temple, right? What is the temple in the Old Testament? What's the temple's job? Someone just yelled out. What's the temple do? What's that? Yeah, it's, it's the place where God lives. It's the place where he hangs out, which is a weird idea, but that's what the Bible says. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and see what the temple is now. Sorry, just in case you couldn't hear that. Oh, no, I did repeat it, yeah. It's the house of God. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 16. Now, if this was translated into literal English, it would have some bad grammar in it, all right? I'll read it with bad grammar for you. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. You ready? Paul says to the church, a church that's all bent and busted up in a lot of ways, by the way, this is what Paul says to him. He says, don't you know that you guys are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in your midst. He says, don't you know that you yourselves, don't you know that yous, and now that we don't have a word for that in English, right? So he says, you yourselves, but this is the church. Don't you know that God now lives in the church where his house, where now where he lives? And in fact, he says a similar thing, but he says it about all of us individually in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Flip, flip over there, because both of those things are true. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, check this out. He says, don't you, know that, don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the, Holy, are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. So both together, corporately is one word for that, right? Use us, we are the temple of God. But not only that, individually, if you're a Christian, you are the temple of God. God actually lives in you, which is just stunning. It's an amazing truth that God would not only come near sinful people like us, but actually come and live in us. That's only possible if Jesus has come and died and removed the record of sin from us. If he had not done that, that would not be possible, that God could live in his church, and he does. That's amazing. And so I'll give you three quick applications. The first one is this. Guys, we don't need a temple or any sort of a building to encounter God. You don't need anything extra or special to encounter God. You don't encounter God in worship, okay? And when I mean worship, I'm, I'm using a Christian jargon word. You don't encounter God when you sing and have a special experience, okay? 
So you don't come to youth group and feel all sorts, you might feel all sorts of emotions and things and that's fine, but that's not you coming into God's presence when you weren't in his presence before. You're in God's presence because Jesus died and so now he dwells in you. You don't come into his presence through singing. Secondly, guys, we just need to know the incredible blessing of the fact that God lives in us if you're a Christian. He lives in his church. And thirdly, it's the application that Paul gives in verse 20. He says, honour God with your bodies. God lives here now. He owns the place. Jesus paid with his life to save you. You were bought at too heavy a price for you to live as if God has no place now. So live like God owns you. Now, what that means is that right now, if you're a Christian, God lives in you. God is with you right now. You can't get closer to God than that. But (laughs) there's one more thing that I want us to see this week that's even more mind-blowing than that. And this is our last point for the whole week together in, in the church, right? And here it is. Soon, God's people will see him face to face. Come over to Revelation with me, the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. And in fact, we're all sleepy. I'm going to get you to jump up and just be like, woo, and then sit back down real quick. Jump up, jump out of your chairs. Come on, you can do it. Everyone go, woo. You didn't stand up the back there. I saw you. We all saw you. All right, good, good, good. Grab a seat, grab a seat. Revelation chapter 21. Uh, verse 1. Grab a seat. I'm glad you're awake. That's good. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. Now, remember at the start of the night, I asked the question, what's the best thing you can get? And we threw around a bunch of ideas. And the last one we kind of left behind was relationships. Is relationships the best thing you can get? Now, what we're going to see here in Revelation chapter 21 is that I think actually relationship is the best thing you can get, but one particular type of relationship, and it's a relationship of knowing God face to face. So you have a look at this picture of heaven in Revelation chapter 21. Look, listen to verse 1. Look in your Bibles. This is a description of heaven full of all sorts of images. You ready? Revelation 21, verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, that's a weird image right there, but that's talking about the church. The church is the new Jerusalem. It's God's people in the future, the new Jerusalem, and, and it's dressed as a bride ready to be united to God forever. And then in verse 3, you can see it, it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. 
This is the trajectory of the whole Bible. This is what all of existence is heading toward when God's people will be with their God and see him face to face. And it's the most amazing thing that we could look forward to. And look, how, look at how good it will be. Look at verse 4. This is what it will be like. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things, the old way, has passed away. He'll be seated on his throne and said, he, was seated on, he who was seated on his throne said, I'm making everything new. See what God's presence will actually bring for his people. It will mean the end of everything bad in the world. No more pain, no more death, no more crying. Someone once said that the only tears in heaven will be the one that God himself wipes from our eyes. It's an amazing image. Everything that is ugly and broken about this world that's twisted will be replaced with the most incredible thing himself, God with his people. But notice as well that heaven isn't just God with his people, so all the bad stuff is no longer around. It's not just that God turns up and takes away the bad things, as good as that's going to be, right? I think a lot of Christians find it real easy to look forward to when there's no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. But it's not just that we get rid of the bad stuff. Look at at verse 22 with me, because you'll actually see how good God himself is. Look at verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb, that's Jesus, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. God's presence in heaven, unfiltered presence of God, is so amazing that it will light the place up. It's just incredible. You see the same thing in chapter 22. Look at verse t- chapter 22, verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night. They'll not need the, the light of a lamp or the light of a sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The best thing you can get is God himself. And in heaven, God's church will be with God and we will have him forever. And there's nothing better than that. Now, I reckon it's hard for us to get how good this is. We just can't fathom it. We don't get how good God is. It's just really hard for us to get our heads around. See, Imagine the greatest relationship that you can. So in this life now, right, come back into this world and just think of the life you're in right now. What's the greatest relationship you could ever imagine that you could just imagine making your life so good? So it might be a family that's just perfect or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that you just would never, that's just way out of your league. Now imagine you have that relationship and you're like, woo, and you're so stoked, right? Because you've got this thing that you could just never imagine having, right? Yeah. Recognize that that's just a relationship that God himself would have created if, that, if such a thing happened. We rightly value and sometimes overvalue those sort of relationships. But we do get the picture of how good relationship can be. 
And this is saying, imagine a relationship with the God who made all relationships and made everything and who is so wonderful that his presence just lights the place up. That relationship is what the church is looking forward to in heaven. That's a wonderful picture. I ask the question then, are you sure you're headed there? Now, if it were up to us to earn our way to heaven, the answer for all of us would be no. You can't have any assurance, any confidence that that's where you're going because, well, we fail so often. But because the gospel is not about what you do, but about what Jesus has done as he's died for us to wash away our sin, then you can be sure about where you're headed. So are you trusting in Jesus as your Lord, the one who will run your life, and as your Saviour, the one who washes away your sin. Is that where your trust is? Because if it is, you can have confidence that this is your future. It's actually possible tonight that you could have, you could walk in those doors tonight at FAT and head in here and be destined for separation from all that is good for eternity, right? That could have been your future as you walked in here and you might decide to change what you're trusting in or put your trust in Jesus and walk out destined for a different future tonight. That, that change can happen in a sense, in an instant. It's a decision about who you'll trust. I loved what Hazy said last night when we're talking about becoming a Christian because it is an exciting thing when people become Christians, right? And everyone's like, yeah, how good is it when people become Christians? But it's also a serious thing. I love that he left us with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Everyone's getting all jacked up and excited about people becoming Christians and it's such an amazing thing. And then Hazy goes, here's what one guy said about becoming a Christian. He said, when, when Jesus calls us, he bids us come and die. Becoming a Christian is being saved by Jesus and now handing your life over to him such that you die to yourself. Your life isn't even yours anymore. So it's a wonderful thing to become a Christian and it's a huge sacrifice as you lay down your life. But it is worth it. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And so can I challenge you guys to think seriously about what you want to do with that decision. If you've heard the gospel clearly, you know what the decision is, you know the cost, you know, you know what, what it's all about. Maybe consider making that decision tonight. Now, for those of us who are already a part of the church, I just simply want us to see how incredibly blessed we are to be in this thing called the church. God's Spirit now lives in us. We're His temple now. One day we'll be with Him, we'll see Him face to face. It will be amazing. This is our hope. This is the church's future. This is where we're headed. Remember at the start of the week, right? I said to us, is the church... I said, some people say the church is dying. When you look at it, lots of people look at the church and they go, man, does this church even have a future? Look at what it looks like on the outside. Well, here's what we have seen this week. Here's a recap, you ready? The church is God's blessing. Jesus died to create it and it stands as a trophy to his glory. We've got some slides for that. Go to that slide, please. The church is both visible and invisible, marked by holiness and love. Day three, the church has got a job to do. It's worship, service and mission. And finally today, we've seen that the church has a glorious future. 
that one day we'll see our God face to face. And then we get the best thing in the world, God himself forever. And so does the church have a future? Is it dying? (laughs) No, it's not. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. This is what Jesus says about his church. He says, I will build the church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus himself is building his church and it will stand forever. Let's praise God for the church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who died to gather us. Thank you that not only does he wash away our sin, but he comes and lives in us, changing our lives, teaching us to now follow you. Father, I want to pray for those of us on camp who are wrestling seriously with the question of whether to become a Christian or not. I want to pray that those guys wouldn't walk away from this camp without making up their mind one way or another with clarity about what they're doing with the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray that you'd help us to be stoked to be in this thing called the church and to live lives that that make that so clear. Amen.